You know, last week, one of our application points was not taking yourself so seriously. And uh, this week, I'm going to uh, not take myself so seriously by talking about my Spotify playlist, which is something that my wife often gives me a hard time about because of the diverseness of my playlist. For some reason, in her mind, the Beatles and George Jones and Bach and all those things don't go together. And she often pokes her head out of her closet, which is located near my office, and says, really, that's the next song you're going to listen to after that song? But I listen to some weird stuff, and one of my favorite songs that I like to listen to in my study is called the Coronation Hymn, or Zadok the Priest. This is a song that was written by George Friedrich Handel, and if you're not familiar with Zadok the Priest, you may be familiar with Handel's Messiah, which has got the Hallelujah Chorus that we hear a lot at Christmas. I think it's even in one of the Charlie Brown cartoons, right, the Hallelujah thing there. And so he wrote this song in the 1700s. And it starts with this line, Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet, anointed Solomon king, and the people rejoiced. This song has been sung at every coronation in Britain since 1727. And it is based off a passage from 1 Kings that has been read in every British coronation since King Edgar in 973 A.D. was coronated in Bath Abbey. This coronation service of, of, uh, of installing a king and recognizing him or her in a queen's sense as the monarch is, a, is an old ceremony that doesn't change much. And at the end of it, all of the lords and ladies or whoever is present, they kneel. And they kneel to pay homage to this newly crowned king or queen. And what they are doing by doing that is they are expressing their devotion to the monarch. The British people show their love, loyalty, and faithfulness. That is the definition of devotion. They show their love, loyalty, and faithfulness to their monarch. And friends, while, while we may show devotion to some people in our life. This morning, we are going to see from our passage that the King of Kings is worthy of all your devotion. The King of Kings is worthy of all your devotion. What does it mean to be worthy? We've defined devotion. Let's define worthy. The Oxford Dictionary says worthy is deserving of effort, attention, or respect. Effort, attention, or respect. So in other words, Christ is deserving of your effort, of your loyalty, of your love. Jesus Christ is worthy of your devotion. And with that in mind, let's pick up where we left off last week at Philippians 2, starting in verse 5. Philippians 2, starting in verse 5. Actually, let's, let's start in verse 1 so we can pick up, have the context of last week's verses. The Apostle Paul writes to the church at Philippi, If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, United in spirit, intent on one purpose. 
Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interest, but rather to the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by coming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we pray that you would guide our time in the next few minutes. God, we pray that you would illuminate this passage that we might understand how we as Christians are to think and to live. God, I pray that you would draw anyone who has never trusted Christ to yourself this morning, to your honor and glory. And God, I pray that you would guard my mouth and guard these ears so that only your truth would remain in their hearts. God, if anything unprofitable would come from my mouth, God, let it fall away. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Jesus Christ is worthy of your devotion. Show your devotion to Christ by emulating his humility, and show your devotion to Christ by worshiping him as he rightly deserves. Now we're continuing our study of Philippians. Paul wrote this letter to the church at Philippi from jail. And as we highlight every week, love saturates this letter. There's no bitterness in Paul's heart as he is sitting in a jail cell, wondering if he might be executed. But he continually tells the church of his love for them. And he writes to promote gospel-centered unity for the sake of advancing the gospel. Again, this isn't unity at all costs. This is gospel-centered unity, truth-centered unity. Unity in God's truth for the sake of advancing the name of Jesus Christ. His heart is that the gospel would be advanced. And we see that he sees even his imprisonment as a good thing because Jesus is being glorified through it. As we read last week, since we have received this encouragement from Christ, since we are in Christ and since we have received God's love and that we have this fellowship in the same spirit in Christ's spirit, the church must conduct itself with humility and unity and desiring to serve one another over ourselves. And this week, we see that Christ is our example of humility. The first thing we see in this passage is that we should show our devotion to Christ by emulating his humility. Look with me at the first verses, starting in five. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. 
And when he came as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Paul says that we are to adopt the same attitude as Jesus. And what does that mean? We know that Jesus is truly God. He has always been God. He is no beginning. He has no end. So Jesus Christ, that is eternally God, who has always existed, will always exist in the form of God. That is to say that he came before the earth. He existed before all things. He humbled himself to take up the nature, the form of a servant. Friends, Christ needs nothing. God needs nothing. That's part of his character. He does not need you and me. He does not need anything. And yet, he humbled himself, became a servant for our sake. He didn't come to earth for his sake, but for ours. Jesus Christ humbled himself to become man. That's what we see in verse 7. That's what we read every Advent Right, We see Emmanuel, God with us. Us being humanity. God becoming man. God became flesh and He dwelt among us. This God, the Son, assumed the form of a servant. That is a slave. Those of you who are familiar with the Greek, it's doulos is what we read there. God the Son took to Himself the likeness of humanity. The Incarnation. The men who meet on Fridays for lunch are studying through these 40 theological words that we should know, and we're thinking intently on every single one of them. This last week we had the word holy, and we thought about what the word holy means. One of the words we're going to talk about is, is the incarnation. The incarnation is the act in which God the Son took to himself human nature. The incarnation is when the eternal word became flesh and dwelt among his creation. Friends, being truly God, Jesus Christ was holy, is holy, without sin, walking the life that we could not walk. But being truly man, he succeeded where the first Adam failed and served as a substitute for man. Friends, that is the example that Paul lays before us. Christ needed nothing, is holy, is God. All things were created through Him, and yet He humbled Himself to become a servant for your and my sake. Now we have to hit pause for a moment and think about a troublesome doctrine that is often associated with this passage. If you read in the email, this is one of the more controversial passages in the New Testament, certainly the most controversial passage in Philippians. From this passage has developed what is known as canonic theology. Now, you don't have to necessarily remember that name, but that is the name of it, canonic theology. When Paul said that Christ emptied himself, what does he mean? What does Paul mean when he says Jesus emptied himself? Well, the canonic theology folks have said that by emptying himself, Christ gave up some or all of his divine attributes. They would say at some level, God ceased being God. 
Christ ceased being God. Ironically, or in God's providence, we handled this very subject almost three years ago to the day. If you've been with us a while, and you remember some of the things we've been through, Bethel Sunday, as it's been called, is almost three years ago today. We had someone on staff here that believed, or at least toyed with the idea, that Christ gave up some of his divinity. And it came from Bill Johnson of Bethel's book, When Heaven Invades Earth. Bill Johnson writes this in chapter 2, page 42. Quote, Jesus performed miracles, wonders, and signs as a man in right relationship to God, not as God. If he performed miracles because he was God, they would be unattainable for us. End quote. Friends, Johnson gives us a form of canonic theology. This idea that Jesus gave up his divinity and didn't perform his miracles as God, but as a man that's just really good. And if you're really good too, you can do what Jesus did. Friends, do not believe that. Make no mistake, Johnson is wrong. Christ's miracles in the New Testament attest to the fact that he is God. They give credence to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. When we read the New Testament, we see Jesus doing all of the things that only God did, the Father, in the Old Testament. Christ makes the lame to leap. Christ makes the dumb to speak. Christ makes the deaf to hear. When Jesus touched a leper, according to the Old Testament standards, he should have become unclean. But what happened? The leper became clean. Because he hadn't been touched by a mere man, but by the God-man by Christ Jesus. Throughout the Bible, we see that Christ is both truly God and truly man. Paul himself refers to Christ as God in his writings. All of the Bible point to the fact that Jesus Christ is truly God and truly man. Do not fall victim, brothers, sisters, to bad exegesis and garbage theology. Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He is always and forever truly God. So what does Paul mean when he talks about assuming the role of a servant in this emptying? Well, many have said that it's emptying by addition, which doesn't make sense math-wise, I guess, but theologically, it's, it's good theology. In other words, what Paul means is, is best illustrated by an illustration that is not unique to me, but it's of a king who decides he wants to walk among his subjects and puts on the robe of a beggar. So this, this king that lives high up in the castle in the keep on the hill, he puts on a robe and he dirties his face and he walks among the people. And as he walks among the people, people treat him like a beggar, but he is nonetheless the king. And the moment he strips off the robes and stands up, and the people realize that he is the king, they bow down. That is what is meant by Jesus Christ humbling himself and becoming man, not that he gave up. His divinity. Jesus Christ is truly God and truly man. And he is what we could never be. And yet, Paul says, his humility is an example we should strive for. 
Look at verses 5 and 6. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity when he had come as a man. He humbled himself. God became flesh, and he didn't see that as something, his divinity as something that to exploit. He did not exercise his divine privileges for a time. He did not live as a king on earth. He did not receive all of the glory that was due his name. Christ voluntarily took on himself indignities for our sake, for others. And looking to our Lord as an example, friends, we must seek to be humble. Show the world that you are devoted to your king by emulating his humility. And that humility also comes with obedience. Look at verse 8. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. He was obedient to the point of suffering death on the slave's wood. The cross was reserved for slaves. It was the worst way to die in his day, and yet he was obedient. He took all of the Father's righteous wrath on himself for the elect. And while you and I cannot emulate Jesus in every way because he is God and we are not, we surely must emulate his humility. We must strive to emulate his obedience. Friends, if the Son of God can become man, you and I have no excuse. If the Son of God, who is without sin, can take all of the Father's righteous wrath for others, you and I have no excuse for not striving for obedience and humility. Show the world that you are devoted to your King by emulating His obedience. Jesus Christ is worthy of all our emulation. And... He is worthy of our worship. Look with me at verses 9 through 11. And for this reason, for what Christ did, for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Because of the Son's humility and obedience, He was exalted by His Father. He is above all rulers, every ruler of every age. We saw that in Ephesians 1. We saw that the Father raised Christ from the dead and seated Him at His right hand far above every ruler, above every dominion. Christ's name is above every title given, not just in His own age, but in every age. Jesus Christ is supreme. Jesus Christ is is better. All things are under His feet, friends. Christ rules all. We talked about the coronation service of the British monarchy. In that coronation service, one of the things that the king or queen will hold is an orb. I don't know, you may have seen these pictures where they'll have like a rod in one hand and they have this weird ball in the other hand, right? If you look up what that is, it's called an orb. And the ball signifies the earth. And what you will see on top of that ball is a cross. And what that orb signifies is that Jesus Christ is the true ruler over all the earth. 
And the monarch is confessing and admitting that. And, and, and saying that my dominion is only at the, the leisure, if you will, of the true ruler, Jesus Christ. The orb signifies that Christ rules the world and that the monarch's power is from him alone. Friends, Jesus Christ is above every single ruler that this world will ever have or has ever had. Britannia may believe she rules the waves, but those waves belong to Jesus Christ. And every knee will bow. Look at verse 10. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. This passage points back to a passage in Isaiah, a passage that teaches that every one of God's enemies will one day be defeated and put to shame. That one day every being will bow. As we see here, heavenly beings, angels will bow. Earthly beings, those who are on the earth, they will bow to Jesus Christ. And underworld beings, the demons, the devil, all of them, every single being that exists in this universe will one day bow to Jesus Christ. It does not teach that some will bow gladly. Some beings will. Those who in Christ will, will, will fall on their face gladly in the presence of their Lord, but some will be made to bow in defeat and shame. But make no mistake, Jesus Christ is Lord. He is King he is the king of kings, and every tongue will confess that. Look at verse 11. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day, all of creation will confess what the Philippian church is already confessing, that Jesus is Lord. He is the king. In word and action, all will pay homage to Christ. But friends, here and now, Jesus Christ is worthy of your worship. He is worthy of your worship in song, of your worship through giving. He is worthy of you sitting under the red word. He is worthy of you sitting under the preached word in worship. He is worthy of your worship at home. He is worthy of your worship at work. He is worthy of your worship here in the gathered assembly. He is worthy of all of your worship. Worship him and pay homage with your life now, gladly, happily. And all that you are and all that you do, show your devotion to the one who died for you. So as we think about this passage, and we think about how we should live, how we should show devotion to our king, the one who humbled himself, was obedient to a cross, and it was exalted above every name, how should we live? Well, I want to give you at least four areas of devotion this morning. First, Show your devotion to Christ by following Him humbly. Humbly. <clears throat> Seek humility. There is only one person who walked the earth and had the right to assert His rights. There is only one man that ever had the right to say, this is my rights, and He waves them for your sake. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, 2 Corinthians. Just as Christ did not consider equality with the Father as something he could exploit, follow the same attitude characterized by Jesus. Pursue humility. Pursue the interests of others before yourself. We saw this in our text last week. 
but repetition is good, right? Pride, putting myself first, my rights, I'm going to have it my way, I'm going to treat the church like Burger King, is the root of many of the problems we have here. Most of the problems. Because pride causes us to double down on our sin when we're confronted. Pride causes us to double down on our bad behavior. Pride calls us to ignore what the Bible teaches and do it my way. But we are called to humility. We are not called to waving flags in people's faces or getting into internet battles about silly things. Friends, we are called to humility. We are called to the opposite of a sense of entitlement. We don't dwell on what we deserve because we know what we deserve. And by God's grace, we did not get it. When we realize what Christ has truly done for us, the incarnation, propitiation, all of those theological words that we learn, when we truly realize what they mean, we should be driven to humility, to obeying our King. Second, show your devotion to Christ by following Him in obedience. Our small groups have been reading through the Pilgrim's Progress, and this week our small group got to uh, the... Uh, enchanted land or something like that Uh, but there's this land where they're going to fall asleep at pilgrim and hopeful these two guys are on the way to the celestial city from the city of destruction if you've never read the book and they encounter all these trials and it's basically it's an allegory for the christian life and so they're, they're they're in this enchanted land and so they start encouraging one another and christian asks hopeful for his basically his testimony you know how did you become a christian and so he starts telling the story about how he realized he was a sinner and, and how he was upset over his sin and he was remorseful for it and how he cast himself on Christ. And he says all these things. And there at the end, he says, and when that happened, I desired to obey my king. And I desired to live a life that honors him. That's a paraphrase. Friends, we are called to Obedience. And you say, well, that's too hard. Obedience is too hard, and a real Jesus that really loves me, the Jesus I learned about in VBS, he wouldn't want me to be obedient. He just wants me to know I'm loved. Obedience is too hard. This week, I saw a picture of a man on oxygen on a roller coaster with his daughter or granddaughter. Right? Like, I I mean, roller coasters are cool, but man, I'm not going to ride it with an oxygen tank. And I was trying to find out more about that picture, so I Googled, you know, guy, you know, oxygen tank with his granddaughter, and it led to a story about a man who lost 200 pounds just so that he could ride his favorite roller coaster. And then I saw another story this week about a father and daughter who just finished visiting every MLB ballpark in the country. Guys, if you want to plant a garden, you'll plant a garden. If you want a new boat, man, you will start figuring out ways and devising ways and things you can cut back on so that you can get a new fishing boat. If you want a new home remodel, if you want to spruce up some things, you will figure out a way or at least try to figure out a way to do it. If you want to spend your day off for you, you usually figure out a way to do it. And if you want to pursue holiness, if you want to honor your king, you will. You'll try. You won't be perfect, but you will try. Friends, people can find a way to do the things they want to do. 
but people also really good at excusing themselves from doing the things they do not want to do. I've, I've shared this example before, but I think it's the best. Sarah was at a, a women's conference when we were in seminary, so we're talking hundreds, if not over a thousand women, and there's this, this uh, woman speaker there, and she, she's talking to these moms and stuff, and this lady gets up and sweetly asks, you know, I'm a busy mom. How can I find time to read my Bible? And rather than getting a soft, flowery response, the woman says, you'll find time to do what you want to do. If you want your kids to eat organic, you'll find a way for them to eat organic. And if you want to read your Bible... You will do that. Friends, our lack of obedience to the King of Kings has little to do with our situation and everything to do with our wretched heart. Our heart's defiance against the King of Kings is why we do not pursue holiness. It is not because you are too busy. Third, show your devotion to Christ by knowing that Christ of the scriptures. That is to say, the true Jesus Christ. Christ is not merely a human. He did not give up his divinity and become undivine, but Jesus Christ is truly God and truly man. We have beat that horse and will continue to beat that horse because it is essential to Christianity. And we have to know the real Christ, which means we have to be in his word. A devoted subject to the king of kings wants to know more about the king they dearly love. How many of you would believe a husband is truly devoted to his wife if he did not care to learn about her? Well, baby, I love you, but I really don't want to hear about your favorite book. Well, baby, I love you, but I, don't, I couldn't order anything for you at a restaurant because I don't care what you eat. I don't care what your dream vacation is. I don't care what you like to listen to on the radio. How many people would think, man, that guy is really devoted to that woman? Why should anyone believe you are truly devoted to Christ if you could care less which one of those Christs you follow? But once we are truly joined to Jesus, we want to know Him. We want to know who He is. We want to know what He is like. We want to know how we can serve Him. Friends, read the Bible the same way you read that first love letter, that first email, that first text message that you screenshotted and saved from your significant other friends. That is the level at which we should want to know about Jesus Christ. If we are truly devoted to Him, study His Word. Fourth, show your devotion to Christ by serving Him as your Lord. Friend, the King of Kings is not just worthy for two hours on Sunday morning. He's worthy of your devotion on Tuesday night. He's worthy of your devotion uh, 5 o'clock on Friday when you just punched out of work. If Christ is your king, he is king over all of your life. He is king over your calendar. He is king over your debit card. He is king over your remote control. He is Lord over your marriage. Submit to him. Follow him. Be obedient to him. Friends, what... Do the things you are truly devoted to this morning say about your heart? As we think about devotion to Christ, what does your heart, what does your mind say? And you say, Mac is just dramatic. He's got to put on a good show. He's been watching those fiery preachers again. It's not that big a deal. I'll forget about this by the time I get to A&P or Coast Guard Station, whichever way I'm driving. 
and I'll be thinking about the stuff I always think about. Or you're thinking somebody else needs to listen to this. You go, oh, so-and-so, she really needs to hear this, and you deflect away from applying this passage to your own life. Or maybe you're just so cold in heart at this point, you could really care less. You're inoculated to what the Scripture says. Friend, we all must evaluate our hearts to see if we are truly in the faith. Paul tells us that. Paul never says, open up your Bible to look at your baptism date. He always says, evaluate your heart. So friends, this morning I ask, are you devoted to Christ? Are you the one who will joyfully bow to the king one day? Or the one that would be forced to bow in submission? Are you the one who is truly supported? supporting, submitted to your king, friend, because you must surrender to my king this morning, if you have not. I say that because I love you. He is a good king, and he will not turn away all those who truly repent and turn to him. If you see that you are a rebel against him and feel his call, friends, turn from yourself, turn from serving yourself and turn to him. Believe the gospel. Believe he is who he says he is. Truly God, truly man, walking the earth, dying for your sins at the Father's right hand right now and will one day return. Believe him and repent. Believe the gospel. For if you do not surrender to this king, you will forever be an enemy of his and suffer his righteous wrath by a thrice holy God forever. Repent and believe the good news of Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is worthy of your devotion. He is worthy of your humility and he is worthy of your worship. Friends, Christ is the only king in which you can trust, in which you can hope. Just recently, Charles III was coronated. Is that the right word? His his coronation took place because Queen Elizabeth died. Queen Elizabeth, the longest reigning monarch that Britain has had, died. She was a good queen, but she died. And a new one had to come and take her place. Friend, every president's term ends. Every mayor will die or retire. Every pastor, even the ones you really like, will one day die and go to the grave. And their plans will go with them. But Jesus Christ reigns forever. His nature is unchanging and His rule is unchanging. That is why the psalmist tells us, put not your trust in princes, in the Son of Man, who will go to the grave with His plans. But instead, He calls us to put our hope in the Maker of heaven and earth, the seas and everything in them. He remains faithful forever, executing justice for the exploited, giving food to the hungry. The Lord frees the prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are oppressed. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects the travelers and helps the fatherless and the widow. He frustrates the way of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. The King of Kings is worthy of our devotion. Father, we give you praise and glory this morning. God, we pray that you would help us to be a church that is devoted to Christ, a church that seeks humility. Just as we said last week, God, start with me. If there is any pride in my life, God, I pray that you would rip it out. Grant me repentance from it. Expose it. 
but grant this whole congregation humility to obediently serve our King. Father, we pray that you would draw the lost to yourself and that this church would be a witness for you. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.